All right, perfect. All right, welcome to the first podcast for Funnel 9. We plan to share uh, content for you guys that matter, so thanks for joining us today. Today we're going to speak with Matt Lance, founder and CEO of the Special Forces Sports Foundation. This is a nonprofit dedicated to giving special needs students and high school athletes the opportunity to engage in athletic activities together. They believe that both groups of students can learn valuable life lessons from each other. And uh, thanks for joining us, Matt. Well, thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, Matt and I go way back, so he's uh, he's my guinea pig for our first podcast. But um, <laughs> way back, way back. But I think your uh, I think your story is pretty cool, um, at least from my perspective. So why don't we just go right into it and let you um, fill Perfect. us in on why why did you start a nonprofit uh, specifically around uh, special needs? Well, to to go to the very beginning, I didn't plan on starting a nonprofit. It was more so uh, recognizing a need in our community. And when I say our community, I mean, um, you know, I'm a a full-time teacher and PE coach and football coach at Centennial High School in Corona. And one of the classes that I teach is the um, life skills or adaptive PE class. And um, I originally got into this not having any experience. Uh, It was an assignment that was handed to me about six years ago. And, um, you know, my first first reaction was, you know, one of shock, surprise, because, again, typically we're not given assignments that we don't have training in, prior training in, uh, and experience. And so... What I did was I just kind of reached back into my, you know, prior knowledge of, uh, you know, who does a great job with our kids with special needs. And my first one that came to my mind and probably comes to a lot of people's minds is Special Olympics. And so through some through some trial and, and failure of getting a hold of the right people with the Special Olympics, I kind of had to do my, I kind of had to come up and do my own thing. I couldn't wait anymore. And so, um, you know, we started getting involved with, uh, with, uh, an organization that was doing stuff through Cal state Fullerton and giving this, this carnival style, uh, event in the spring where I could take my students and they would go and they'd be able to play with um, student-athletes from a lot of the parochial schools in Orange County. And it was great, and my kids loved it. I loved it. And the kids got a T-shirt, and they got lunch, and it was just a great day. Well, things being as they are in education today, uh, with budget cuts and things like that, programs being taken away, um, my school district, uh, unfortunately was no longer able to bus my students out to, to Fullerton. Um, and so kind of in, in my personality was just like, well, that's unacceptable. My, my students look forward to this. This was kind of the one thing that we all had to look forward to in the spring and it was special for them. And, and uh and it was just something that i had been to several times and i was like well i can i can do this this doesn't seem that hard and so um 
So I partnered up with uh, a friend of mine at another high school in our district, and we just tried it. I, I bust our students over there. Uh, local busing obviously is a lot easier than 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 going a half hour, you know, forty five minutes away. So I knew I was able to get my students over to another high school within our district, and we just got together and played together, just to kind of see could we do something like this. And it worked so well that from from that day, I started working on and developing. Um, what is now Special Forces Sports Foundation, um, and so you basic so you basically fell into this. I mean, you, it's not like you. I mean, you you obviously have a heart of gold, but it's not like you were just like, oh, I need to start a nonprofit. I'm going to try and think of what what could I do locally. It was really just kind of uh, stumbling into these various opportunities to work with these kids and feeling like there is some value that you were giving them and probably gaining for yourself, and then trying to put it together, just connecting resources that you had. Absolutely. Absolutely. Connecting resources I had is the best way to put it. And it was, it totally just fell into place. I was not looking to, uh, nor did I ever think I could start my own nonprofit or business. It had just, it was just something that was never on my radar of things to do. Uh, and, um, but just seeing a need you know, certain circumstances led to us having, you know, one, once we've completed that that kind of pilot, um, I started working on the next spring and inviting all of our high schools within our district to my high school and just kind of came up with a bunch of ideas, things that I had remembered from this other event, as well as trying to add my own um add my own touches to it to make it, you know, I think special for our kids. <clears throat> and um, we pulled it off that first spring where we invited uh, five, high, five high schools as well as we have a, um, we have a school that's K through, K through 12 that is for our um, severely handicapped student population. And we invited their middle school slash high school age students to come participate as well. And so we had representation from six schools at, at, at Centennial for this Special Forces Sports Day. And so give us an idea. How, how many total kids is that? We had we had roughly. 250 students with special needs wow on that first wow. go round and we that's we, that's incredible we had probably close to double that in volunteers um and when i say volunteers i mean athletes from our varsity sports here at centennial we had Oh, I'm glad you brought that up, Matt. You should definitely talk about that because I think a lot of times when people go to the website and they look at what you're doing, they go, oh, it's they're helping kids with special needs and that's it. Um, but you actually had a, an idea that I think is fairly novel, at least in, from what I've seen. I don't see this with the Special Olympics specifically, but where, where you're pulling in um, student yes. athletes to actually help mentor and, and play along with these uh, kids as well. And, and, can you walk us through how that works? 
Absolutely. And that, and that's how I think we're different from the great things that Special Olympics does. Uh, in, inclusive opportunities are what our families are wanting for their students with special needs, meaning uh, specifically inclusive is having students that are their age working with them so that, um, you know, it gives them the opportunity to learn social norms, how to act in public, you know, from someone that, that is like them, not an adult. And the, the turnaround for that, me being a, a football coach at a fairly successful, um, you know, high school with, uh, is our kids, our athletes are so laser focused on scholarships and getting to the next level. I saw it as an opportunity for them to build on the total person and build that, you know, give them that experience and of compassion, empathy, and kind of taking a look, a step outside of themselves and, and interacting with a population uh, on our campus that they wouldn't necessarily ever have the opportunity to interact with. And, um, you know, it's so for me. It's definitely a two, uh, a twofold issue that you know I'm I'm. We're not only giving opportunities to students with special needs who need every opportunity they can get, but it's also for our athletes uh, to just build them up, um, and um, you know, give give them a different perspective than what they're necessarily used to used to experience. Hundred percent, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you know, you've obviously taken this this event over the last what is it, six years now, seven years? Uh, well, I've been doing this for six, seven years. This event is still we're probably at about three and a half years old right now. Okay, okay. So you've taken it from a one day event, and then you've now expanded it to club leagues and. I mean, the geography that you're covering covering is not just, you know, Riverside County, California. You're now in Utah. Uh, I know there's talks of Colorado. Can you walk through kind of how this thing is just like organically grown into a much larger uh, event and how you're incorporating uh, these club leagues? Sure, sure. So we were we were working on and pretty much done with planning our um our special forces sports day when COVID hit, we had raised all the money we needed. We had secured all of the vendors and we were, I mean, we were taking it to another level. We were going to double in size of the amount of kids that we were going to invite. Um, And then COVID shut everything down. And so I had all of these, resources available to me um, as far as financially to in order to pull off an event that I wasn't going to be able to execute and so it the, honestly the the pandemic and that time at home gave me time to just kind of mull over well if I can't work through schools how can I still reach out to these student populations um, and so being that my my kids are involved in 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 club sports, I was like, oh well, club sports is you know for the for to some degree are still running, and um, and at the time, uh, 
my old college town up in Logan, Utah, was nowhere near as uh, strict and restricted as as Southern California was. And so I had made some connections with some uh, former classmates and teammates of mine up in, in Utah, and they happened to be involved with a club volleyball team up there, Mountain Peak Volleyball Club. And so we kind of turned some of those resources and just real quickly marketed doing a a rec league, we call it, or a volleyball experience, I think is more appropriate. Um, and we do it for six weeks, one, one day a week uh, for an hour. And it's where the club athletes now are interacting with and peer coaching our students with special needs. And they they absolutely crushed it. And so, you know, now we have uh, now we have kind of two two programs that we can get to in communities where, you know, with schools, you're dealing with bureaucracy and things like that and and having to dot a lot of I's and cross a lot of T's, which is fine. Um, But then we also have an opportunity and can reach a wider age group with our Nothing But Nets program, which is kind of what we've called it because we're targeting volleyball, basketball, and soccer, which are the big kind of club sports. Um, and, and it's minimal, minimal um, equipment. Whereas if we got into baseball, now we're talking about gloves, bats, you know, balls, things like that, you know, and, and sure. honestly, yeah. there's already some very, very good um, programs out there doing baseball with uh, with our individuals with special needs. And so I don't see it as something that I want to ever compete with people. I want to provide more opportunities for our kids. And, um, and so so right now, nothing but nets, which is kind of the sub, you know, brand for the volleyball and soccer uh, club outreach. And if somebody has a club team and wants to do something like this, what's the commitment from a club team? Because I know having, uh, you know, coach kids through club, like, or had kids and had them go through club, it's a very competitive situation. There's lots of practices and the demands on the uh, young athletes are pretty high. So what's the commitment that you look for to sign a club up to do these events? So, we, we, that's definitely a concern because the clubs, you know, clubs are, they're very competitive and very time consuming, uh, for not just this, not just the athletes, but the parents as well, getting them to and from practices. So what we, what we try and do is we want to work with a club that has multiple teams and multiple ages, age groups of teams so that the 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 athletes say let's say we're working with a volleyball club and week one of nothing but nets we're going to have their their 18u team work with our work with our kids and then the next week we're going to have the 14u team work with them so that you know it's a one to two time commitment and again it's one time one hour a week so that way they you know a lot of a lot of the athletes get the opportunity and are exposed to this and uh but it's not going to overwhelm the the athlete in that oh man I, for the next 6 weeks not only do I have three practices a week that are 2 hours long 
but I also have this other thing I have to do every week. No, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a one time, maybe two. And, and honestly, we've had, we've had, uh, we've had some of our club athletes that have missed their training sessions and told their coaches, I want to go back and do and work with these kids again, uh, rather than go to my, my training session. And the coaches have, have honored that. And it's just been a great experience. Um, so, so now you have, uh, how many total club teams are you working with now and kind of what's the end goal? So right now we are working with three volleyball clubs, one in Utah, uh, one in Corona pipeline volleyball club in Corona, and then Forza one call uh, volleyball club, which actually has multiple locations, one in Ontario, one in the Murrieta Temecula area. And so out of those three clubs this fall, we're going to be running four volleyball leagues. Um, one that starts September 14th uh, and, you know, one that uh, one that's September 27th, October 4th, and then October 17th. So, and they'll all four run. They all four of them will run for six weeks in their in their communities. And then we also have the soccer league, uh, the Legends right. so, Legends Football Club, uh, which has uh, they probably have ten ten locations, and uh, we have worked in two of their locations now. One here in in the Norco area, and then this summer we worked in Temecula. So you obviously you've got a lot going on and for, for anybody that's going to be listening to this, the one thing that I think they're going to ask is like, okay, you, you started local versus, you know, there's, there's obviously people that have grand visions of, of, you know, healing the world, but you started local, you started in your own backyard, but now you're expanding. Can you just walk us through how hard it was to literally start a company that's a nonprofit in the state of California, like what, what did you, what roadblocks were there? What things were you confused about? Was it hard? Was it easy? Um, just kind of give us like the walk through the roadmap of starting this company. Sure. Sure. Well, obviously again, it's everything that I've done has been through relation relationships with people that I've already had. So um, you being number one in that you you knew some people and had some contacts for me with um, uh, a law firm uh, that was actually handed to me, as well as a um, a tax person uh, that that could walk me through all of what is needed tax wise to become a nonprofit and. It's daunting to look at, especially for someone like me, who um, a lot of paperwork and a lot of legalese is not in my, that's not one of my strengths. And so having having people that could help me and knew what they were talking about and had helped start nonprofits was, was amazing. And so... As daunting as it as it was, all I had to do was kind of focus on listen, just listen to these people, do the things that they say, and it just it did. It just you know step by step they worked me through it, and um, 
And I think we did it in a pretty decent amount of time, especially being that we did, we started the process during the pandemic in which the state of California was working, you know, on on limited hours and, and limited staffing. Um, a lot of people were working from home, so it probably took us a little bit longer. But, you know, I felt like we got things done in a, in a, in a good amount of time. And um, so, yeah, it was, in my mind, daunting. To others who have more of a business mind, it probably wouldn't seem like such a big deal. Um, well, I think, I think the other critical thing to, you know, say is that, you know, you, you <laughs> it's not like you went and raised, uh, you know, a million dollars from some uh, single donor and began taking a salary. And, and you know, so no. you were like being paid for your time. It's important to point out that you, you don't make a penny, um, not one dollar. You do this all in your free time. No, and no, I don't. It's just kind of grown organically and had some some pretty good success with the participation and and uh, honestly the outreach. I think regionally was was what I thought was going to happen. So when when you told me time, things like you know Denver and all the schools maybe want to participate. I mean those are those are yeah a lot of work. There's a lot of work there. And so I always wondered like, okay, at some point you're going to have to hire staff. I think I've told you this as a board member, you know, you can't do everything yeah. for forever. And so can you walk, just walk everyone through how hard is it to raise money? Uh, just how hard is it to ask? Um, what have you tried to do creatively to kind of make it worth people's time? Walk us through what, what that's like. And, and also like, where are you at in terms of what you'd like to raise? Uh, like, are there different phases, uh, you know, in terms of gold, bronze? I know you have those levels. Like, how's that going? Can you yeah. just walk us through the whole raising capital? Sure. Yeah. Sure. So um, obviously, with when, when you have to raise money, cold calls are hard. Uh, meaning, you know, hey, I think this, I think this company you know, I think this fits kind of what they do and I'll just cold call. And I, I, you know, I've, my batting average there is probably, you know, not fantastic, but the way I kind of approached this and some advice that I got very early on when asking for money for special forces was, was key that I'm not pocketing any of this money. I'm not asking for money for me. I'm asking for money for these kids and to help give them experiences. So I'm very, you know, you very much don't want to cross a line or ask someone, you know, Hey, you know, I'm here begging for money, but there's definitely a purpose behind it. So I don't feel bad about it anymore um, because I know where that money's going. And I, I, I feel confident in that, you know, Hey, if it doesn't fit their agenda or, if, you know, if they've already given this year to their, uh, you know, to what they're going to give to, that's fine. I just move on to the next one and it's no hard feelings. So, um, which that wasn't the case early, but I did have, I did have, you know, some encouragement early, like, Hey, don't, don't ever apologize for asking for money. Cause you're not, you're not benefiting from this personally. So that really kind of opened it up for me and was kind of my aha moment of that's right. You know, so it's okay to ask people to help other people. And, you know, some of the ways that we try and make it, um, some of the ways we try and make it uh, attractive to our corporate donors is 
you know, people, when people give to things like this, you know, it, it also helps them look, look good to their people. So we've come up with, um, we partnered with a print shop in New York uh, called Spectrum Designs, which their, their, their kind of business model is very similar to ours and they want inclusive, uh, you know, opportunities for people with uh, special needs. And 85% of their workforce is on the autism spectrum, hence the Spectrum Designs uh, name. And so in, in working with them, we have come up with, um, we call them merch boxes, basically so that we can outfit our corporate donors with, uh, you know, at different levels with different, different things like you know, hats, polo shirts and pullovers and backpacks, all with the, all with the foundation's logo on it so that they can kind of, they, they have something tangible for their, for, for their donation. You know, it's nice. They can go out and go golfing in it. And, and then it's, it also allows them to share it with, with some of their friends and, and colleagues and things like that. And it just helps get the word out about us. And, um, and that's been pretty successful for you it doing has, those things. It has. Okay. And, and, and you know, successful, yes. Appreciative from the donors, one hundred percent. And um, you know, then you know, fundraising is fundraising, or you know, collecting donors. You know, we have we try and hit all of the different mediums that make it easy for people. We we started an Amazon Smile account. Um, so people have the opportunity to choose us as their nonprofit. And whenever they shop on Amazon, uh, they can click over to Amazon smile, which has all the same, all the same, uh, merchandise. Uh, but when they purchase through Amazon smile, um, we get a, a fraction of that sale, uh, sent to us. Um, you know, we, we, st- Oh, go ahead. Well, so. Well, well, I just had a question. So I know that you, so we've got the Amazon smile, but the bigger, the bigger chunks that you're going for, you've got basically three or four tiers, I think four that I'm looking at gold sponsor, $15,000 donation. That's yearly. Uh, Silver sponsor is a $10,000 donation, bronze 5,000. And then you have a participant sponsor, which is less than that. Um, you, it looks like you focus on either small businesses or high net worth individuals for the main sponsorships. And like, yeah. you know, what's the, what's the, like, what's the budget you're looking to build? I mean, you, now that you're expanding and out of these geographic areas, obviously there's going to be some travel incurred. You're probably going to need to get local representation. Like, do you, have you thought through roughly what you're trying to get to? Is it, is it a million dollar a year operating budget? Is it two? Is it three? Um, we, we have discussed, uh, you know, kind of a, a goal for this year of being a hundred thousand dollars. Um, but obviously the more we expand, the bigger that is going to have to be. And, you know, the, the areas we're trying to reach and where we've seen some, some possibilities, you know, for instance, at the end of this month, we're having a special forces sports day event up in Logan, Utah. And during that event, we're going to have representatives from Utah State University 
in their athletics department as well as them bringing some student athletes so that they can see how it's run. And we want to run one of these on their campus uh, with their student athletes in the spring of 2022. And just in, in getting into that collegiate level, the possibilities and in, in, in some networking that I've done um, with some other colleges in Utah State's conference is if I can get one or two universities within the conference doing these, I could probably get and most likely get the entire conference because the, the universities in a way compete with community outreach. And so this could be an opportunity that could spread to the whole Mountain West Conference. And, you know, then that that lends itself to reaching out to my Pac-12, uh, Pac-12, uh, I can't think of the name right now, uh, my contacts that are in the Pac-12 and doing something similar there. And then other conferences, as well as, you know, the whole move to Denver is because one of our partners is the special teams coordinator for the Denver Broncos. And so um, uh, with Tom McMahon's support and, and wanting to honor our donors and having events kind of in their honor is kind of how I think of it, you know, and being in, you know, if you're going to donate money and large sums of money to us, I want this to hit an area where you want, where, where the, that person would like to see it. And so he's expressed to me wanting to be in his hometown of, of um, uh, Helena, Montana. Um, and then also where he works and lives right now, which is in Denver. Um, and so, yeah, our big dream there is to, to get into the, the, you know, have NFL cities, uh, adopt our program and, um, you know, just allowing, allowing students in those areas to, to have this experience and, and to build the program. Well, just, just, just imagine though, I mean, you know, you have to, obviously as an entrepreneur, you have to dream big, right? Just imagine you started this as a one-off high school, uh, event. It's now growing to multiple high schools and some colleges, and it's about to potentially expand into the NFL. So if you just think like three, five years down the line, like this could be something where the NFL adopts is like a month. You know, they have these months where it's breast cancer and they've got veterans. And I mean, imagine if you're, if you can get this thing to be big enough to where there's a special forces month. I mean, that would be really cool. And obviously Oh, yeah, I think you're the, you're the guy to do it because you got a heart of gold. Um, but I think more importantly, how can we help? How can we get people to help you? So I'm guessing sending them to specialforcesports.com uh, where they can give money would be one way. What other ways is there? Do you want to get yeah. an email out or I don't know about phone number, but an email out uh, <laughs> yeah. for people to reach out to you? Yeah, uh, I, you know, I, I'm a very personable person. and um, I I much I would much rather, you know, it, an email to me is definitely going to turn into a phone call because I just communicate better over the phone or in person. So um, definitely my email is uh, Special Forces Sports Day 
I know it's long, special forces sports day at gmail.com. And that can be found on our website. Um, I even think my phone number is on the website somewhere, but um, uh, the website is specialforcesports.com. Our, our Instagram is something that I'm constantly updating and posting on for, you know, for our families so that they know when signups are happening. So all the latest, uh, newest information is, is released through our Instagram page, which is special underscore forces sports. Um, and yeah, and you can go on the website. Uh, we have, we have, uh, a good number of monthly recurring giving, uh, individuals who, you know, we have, I have someone that gives $10 a month. I have some people that give $50 a month and it's just, it's something that they feel that they can, they can manage and they can handle every month in their, in their giving. Um, and they set that money aside for us. And honestly, that, that, that helps, helps us so much just knowing that if we're not landing that big corporate thing, you know, corporate, you know, sponsorship here and there, I, there's always a little bit coming in and, and it's so greatly appreciated. Um, All right. Well, Matt, thanks so much for helping me uh, kick off this uh, podcast for funnel9.com. We do marketing attribution and uh, we, uh, one of our customers is special forces sports foundation. Uh, We do that free of charge to help them raise money. So, but if you want to see anything about Funnel 9, uh, you can go to Funnel9.com and learn more about marketing attribution and how it can help your business grow. Matt, thanks again, brother. I really appreciate your time and uh, I look forward to talking to you again soon. Absolutely. Thanks again, Ian. You're doing a great work for us. All right. Thanks, brother. Take care. Yep.